Happy Easter and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. When we as a church declare, He is risen, He is risen indeed, we are declaring that God has validated our Savior's life and death as sufficient in the complete victory over sin and death. He now invites us to live under that fulfillment, to live under grace. Thanks for joining us on this series called The Living Dead as we reach Paul's final conclusion, teaching us freedom in Christ from sin's reign as we live as those who have died to sin but are made alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to welcome you to our fourth and our final installment in this series called The Living Dead where we are addressing what does the Christian do with sin? How, how, do, we, how do we battle against it? How do, how do we face it? And what strategy has God given to us? Now, I know as you've been with me for the past uh, three weeks on this, and we've been learning how to put a stop to the reign and the rule of sin in our lives by knowing and reckoning that our, our old self has been crucified with Christ uh, so that the body of sin would be done away with. I know that as you've, you've done this, no one here struggles with sin anymore, right? Right? Everybody's good. No problem at all. Of course, that's not true. No, in fact, um, sin is going to be an ever-present reality for us. And so what we're going to seek to do today is we're going to seek to, to enter into the, the final step. This, this last understanding that the Apostle Paul is going to give for really seeking to answer the question, how can the Christian live their lives to glorify and honor God above all things? Now, what I want us to do is to understand that sin is a disease in our life. And, and if you're perhaps not used to hearing a, a sermon on sin, you're, you're not going to be interested in this one. Because that's what we have to discuss today. And as we do, I want you to know that this disease not only is fatal, it absolutely is. Sin's goal, sin's desire is your death. It's even more devious than that. For what sin wants to do is break apart the fellowship that there is between brother and brother, sister and sister, and brother and sister. Sin's desire is to corrupt the unity of the family of God. Sin's desire is to so debilitate you that you will be crippled in your image-bearing role of representing God on this earth. So make sure we understand these two things to be true. First of all, it will kill you. A disease that will lead you to death. But it will also ruin your life right now, up until that point. There's good news. There's good news this morning. Because there's a treatment for this disease. There is. In fact, it's been approved by the FDA, not the FDA, by by the G-O-D. It's been approved. Do you know how we know that the treatment has been approved? Do you know how we know? It's because of this day. Jesus Christ took your penalty, the cost of your sins and mine, upon himself. And if it didn't work, if the treatment of Jesus Christ and being found in him didn't work, do you know where you could find Jesus' body today? You'd find it right there in the tomb. But it is because of the resurrection that I have really good news for you today. 
there is a treatment for sin. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your what? That's it. If there is no resurrection, you and I are forever stuck, forever condemned, forever separated from God. Paul continues, then those of us who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people to be most pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. This final installment is what I'm entitling to hope and to wait, which really is a combination of a single theme. It means to trust. That's what it means. Uh, for, for any uh, folks that are new with us today, uh, let me catch you up to speed. We've learned from Romans chapter 6, and you can turn there as we're going to look at the final verse for this series, that we have been tasked with knowing something, with reckoning that to be true in our lives with stopping sin's rule and reign, and then the active participation for conquering sin is to present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. This work of renewal in your life is the strategy that God offers to his children. But actually, all of this is found in a bit of a larger context. So, if you're with me, turn to Romans 6. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show us uh, the verse. Verse 14 is the, is the final one for today. But we're actually going to have to go back to the beginning a little bit to pick up the pieces to know how very conclusive and culminating and wonderful verse 14 is. So Romans 6 verse 14. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Now, if you didn't grow up with the trappings of Judaism, the, the, the ritual and requirements of law, if you didn't grow up with that, you're, you're going to miss a little bit of the impact that Paul has to say on this. There, there is, there is a, a key promise that's given. Sin shall not be your what? Sin shall not be your master. He, he's given to you and I the authority over sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. So that's true. But then he returns back to this idea of being under something. Here he says we are not under law, but we are under grace. In order to understand this, you have to go back to the beginning where he began his argument. And that's, that's right at the beginning of chapter 6. So turn back to 6 verse 1. Because just previously he's given us the good news. Here it is. This is really good news for you this morning. Wherever you have sinned in your life, wherever that is, God's grace is greater. Wherever sin shows up, grace is more. Wherever sin tries to win the day, grace will win above sin. That, that, that's the reality. That's the really good news. But then Paul's going to say, yeah, you know what? I know you're still sinners. So the, as soon as I tell you that there's going to be more grace, do you know what sinners are going to think? I, I can go sin then, hey? Because if you promised me more grace, right? Imagine if, you're, if your parents gave you the credit card when you were a kid, right? Imagine that, right? And you just keep spending and keep spending and keep spending. Similar mentality. So Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace will increase? Because ain't that what you just told us? 
There's going to be more grace? Paul's answer here is, no, no. You can't do that because you died to sin. And that's where we've been the last couple of weeks. If you flip with me back to verse 14, now you'll see that immediately the next verse asks the same question. Look at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? Come on now, be honest. Who who here is going to find any way to sin that you possibly can? Anybody? Not honest today? Easter morning in church, you guys, right? You're going to do it. I know because I'm a sinner just like you. You're going to find every little way to justify or be blind to sin or redefine it so that it's not sin, which is what our culture does. We're going to try to do that. And so Paul has to ask the question one more time, right? Since we're not under law, we're under grace. Shall we continue? Again, the answer is no, certainly not. By no means. And the triumphal answer why sin is not going to be your master is because of what he's just said in verse 14. And this is it. This is the best. You are not under law. You are not under law. You are under grace. Now I want to explain two things just before we move into a few observations on this. The first thing that some people might think is, well, if we're not under law, I guess the law doesn't matter at all then. This is a particular teaching that happens in some Christian circles called, it's a big word, antinomianism. It just means that we don't need to pay attention to any of the law. But that, in fact, is not what Jesus has said. Jesus has said that everything in the law will be accomplished. Heaven and earth will pass away before the smallest stroke of the law has not been fulfilled. So so the law matters. And this is basically upon the nature of who God is. Because here's the deal with God, church. Whatever God says, God's going to do. And he has given the law. So the law still stands. Even in Romans chapter 3, Paul says we don't nullify the law. I want you to see it in one other place. This, again, from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. This is the key verse here. Though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. There's the phrase. He's under Christ's law. We have a word for that. It's in Romans. It's grace. To be under Christ's law means to be under grace. And so in your sermon notes, we're going to seek to answer this question. How is it that sin is no longer my master? The Bible says that. These aren't my words. The Bible says sin shall not rule you. How? How in the world does that work? And I want to submit to you, it's this right here, because you are under grace. So first thing is I want us to see the law still matters. And so how does both the law matter and grace matter? And so here's how I want you to think of it. What does it mean to be under? And here's what it means. To be under law means that you you will receive the consequences of the law. That's what it means to be under law. What does it mean to be under grace? It means you will receive the consequences of being under grace. That's what the word under means. And I want to try to give you a a little picture, a metaphor, so that we can try to make sense of, of what's going on here. Because it's not that the law is completely gone. Remember, it still stands. And so how does this dynamic work? 
How are we to understand then how we're not to let sin rule in our life by somehow still being under grace while the law still stands? It's a little confusing, is it not? You guys still with me here? A little confusing? Here's the picture. Um, my, my grandparents had one of these at their house. Anybody else have one of those? You know what those are? Um, I remember it well because when I would mow grandma's yard, I had to go all the way around the thing, right? There it is. And I never knew what was down there. I thought it was like a dungeon. My imagination would run wild as to what could this thing possibly be? I imagined there were monsters and dragons and yetis and all kinds of wild creatures down there. And then one day, I actually got to go in there. Uh, Grandpa had it open for some reason, so I tentatively peeked in there and then worked my way down and it was damp and it was cold but you know what I saw I saw big block walls and stone mortar all the way around and a cement ceiling because do you know what this is this is a storm shelter have you seen the news in the last couple of weeks for what's been happening in the southern midwest I read of of a tornado in Missouri that just killed five people I saw a a, a clip from a storm chaser where they came upon two elderly people whose house had just been destroyed and who, by God's grace, survived by taking shelter in the bathtub, in the bathroom. Imagine, imagine if I had heard on the news that there was a tornado headed for grandma's house. And so I pick up the phone and I call grandma. And I say, Grandma, there's a tornado coming. Are you going to be safe? And she says, it's okay. I'm under the roof. Well, well, what's the tornado going to do to the structure? What's the tornado going to do to the house? It's going to be no good, right? If you're, if you're under the roof, you may think that you're safe there, but when the judgment of the tornado comes, that house will not stand. It will fall. But if she goes where? If she's under what, will, will she be safe? If she goes in the storm shelter, then she will be safe. Now here's the interesting thing. The, the storm shelter itself is also under the larger structure. Do you see that? And this is the exact same idea that the Apostle Paul wants to communicate to Christians. That there is a safe hiding place for you and I. In fact, um, Lois, could you turn to Psalm 16? In your Bible, Psalm 16, it was our reading that we just had. Um, Our Old Testament reading in Psalm 16 contains these beautiful words from David that you will not abandon your anointed one to the the grave, to Sheol, to the realm of the dead. You will not let him see decay. It's the Old Testament triumphal proclamation of the resurrection. But Psalm 16 starts with verse 1. Lois, did you find it there? What's verse 1 say? Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. Did you catch it? Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. You you and I will still forever, even like the Jews, be under what God has said. And God has said His law. And His law will stand. The problem is, you are not safe there. You guys track it with me? You're not safe there. The only place where you will find safety and refuge and shelter is when you come under Christ. And that's why Paul says sin is not going to be your master. Because you're not under law. You're under grace. Is this making sense? Hopefully you're tracking with me on this. This is what it means for why you and I will not let sin rule in our lives. I want to show you 
five beautiful implications of this verse right here. Why is this? Why, what does grace really do? Number one is this. Grace means that righteousness has already been imputed. Grace means that righteousness has already been imputed. I have a little chart for you as well to follow along because we're going to look at the difference between these two. If you're under law, do you know what, do you know what sin says about you and I? It says that you and I are guilty. That's what it says. If you have not taken refuge under Christ, to be found in Him, to be under grace, to receive the consequences of grace, if you're still living under the roof of the law, do you know what I mean by law too? Again, we don't have the Jewish law. These are people who think they're trying to be good guys, good ladies. Good. I'm trying to be a, trying to be a good guy. I'm, trying, that's, I'm a good person. The tornado is going to destroy you if that's what you're trying to do. Because the tornado will come and it will prove out of the good in your life or the bad in your life, you are still guilty. Because that's what the law says. But do you know what grace is? Actually, I've got to show you this verse first of all. Because Paul says this, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the law says we're guilty. Grace says that you're righteous. And so let's just continue that verse. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by what? By His grace. Through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. You're either under law, trying to be a good guy, or you're going to be trusting in Christ and therefore under grace. What does this mean to have it imputed to you already? Do you know that Satan is most often given the title in the Bible of an accuser? Do you know what an accuser is? Somebody who seeks to remind you that you're no good. I can remember uh, playing um, basketball in high school, and my, my uh, tall frame allowed me to uh, do pretty well with rebounds, and I had a good, good enough ball handling skills that I could play point guard and pass the ball over the heads of the other guys. But you know what this tall frame did not do well? It did not shoot free throws very well. It did. <laughs> Have you ever heard the crowd at a high school basketball game when you're trying to shoot a free throw? You're going to miss. You stink. And I'm up there shaking, thinking, of course I stink. Of course I'm going to miss. That's what I'm thinking the whole time. Do you know this is what the devil wants to do to you? Have you encountered that recently? The devil wants to come and remind you of these lies. You, you stink. In fact, you're guilty. God doesn't love you. you wh- why are you even trying? You can't do it. You're such a failure. You are such a disappointment. That, that, that doesn't come from God. That comes from the accuser. That comes from a spiritual warfare that's being leveled against you to try to stop you from looking looking like an image bearer of God. But do you know what grace means? It means that grace can say right back to the devil. You, you say I'm a sinner? You're right. You could say that to the devil, by the way. The devil wants to accuse you of being a sinner? You can say it's true, I'm a sinner. But do you know what, do you know what God did? He saved me. He saved me because I am a sinner. He saved me so that if you look on my account... What is written there? It's no longer guilty because I'm not taking refuge under the roof of the law. I'm not trying to be a good guy, a better person. I have placed all of my trust 
to be under Christ, to be under grace. Therefore, he sees me as righteous. Secondly is this. All right, how do I, uh, how is sin no longer my master? Because grace means sin is defeated. Sin is defeated. This is beautiful. Romans 5, verse 20. We, we talked about it briefly already. The law was brought in so that trespasses might increase. That little phrase right there simply means the law shows you you're a sinner. If the, if the speed limit sign on the highway was knocked down and the cop pulled you over and said you're speeding, you could say, I didn't know. Right? You could say that. And the, and the cop's going to be like, oh, geez, okay, sorry. I didn't know you didn't know. I, my bad, my bad. No. What's the cop going to say? You were still speeding. You just didn't know it because you didn't see the sign. And so what's the purpose of the law? It's the sign that God gives to sinners so that and now we know. Now we know how we're breaking the law. Now we know why everybody's dying. Now we know why sin exists. It's in our lives. We can prove it by reading the law. So that's what the law came. But check this out. Wherever sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's worth an amen, right? There was, there was a time um, when uh, Emily had a, had a particular surgery and we got some bills and we had just moved back here and I had um, gotten my first encounter with the depravity of insurance companies. If anyone's an insurance salesman, I apologize in advance to hear, but do you know how insurance works? Number one, they have something called a deductible. Do you know what that is? That means they're not going to pay a dime until you reach a current amount. Do you know how much that is in your life? Do you, you all aware of that? Because I didn't know what it was. But I found out real quick that they weren't going to pay. But then I thought, once I meet the deductible, then they're going to kick in. And so we pulled some money out of savings, the little that we had. And we were bare bones anyways. But then the insurance companies have another little thing they throw in there called out-of-pocket expenses. I had no clue what that meant. Do you know what that means? That means you have to cover a certain amount. It, I thought I just covered a certain amount. Isn't that what a deductible is called? They just came up with a new word for another one. Here was our situation. The bill was more than we could pay. The bill was more than we had. We couldn't pay it. And then we had some friends who God had blessed. And they came over and they said, we heard you had some bills. How much do you need? And I remember thinking like, I can't, I can't ask for this much, right? Because it was so much. And so I said, well, you know, if you could give us... This little bit amount, and they, they looked at me and they kind of said, how much, how much do you need? Is, is there more? And so I told them the full amount, and they sat down and wrote a check for the full amount. Listen, this, this is your situation with God. You have a debt that you cannot afford, that you cannot pay. There's not enough in your bank to pay it. And, and you and I might feel like, well, if God only knew... I mean, I can't tell him how bad I am. I, you know, if you, if you knew what I really owed, you would never pay it. God says, it's okay. How much do you really need? There's a great verse um, in a hymn. It says, his love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His, bound- his power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That's who your God is. So what that means is that wherever sin wants to win, grace has already defeated it. In regards to our power, it means the law. When you break the law, it says that you owe. Right? Cop is going to say, here's your citation. Show up at court at this date. This is how much it's going to cost. If, if you're only under the structure of law, you are going to owe. 
But do you know what happens if you're under grace? It's paid. Your bill's been paid. Number three. Why is sin not my master? Well, because grace means that we have transferred our ownership. We've transferred it. I'm I'm no longer owned by the law. So in obedience, the law is going to tell you that you need to do these things. You need to act this way. You need to think this way. And how's everybody doing with that? I'm sure you're breaking it. What that makes you is a slave to the law. You are a slave to the law because you cannot keep it. Do you know why? Because you have sin. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. That the righteous requirements of the law couldn't be met in us because the law was weakened because we have sin. It's not going to work the way it's supposed to. How many of you have never broken the speed limit? Let's see. Yeah. I don't believe that for a minute, Mason. Not for a minute. (laughs) If you break the law, you now become a slave to it in that you will experience the consequences of being under the law. That's what it means to be a slave to it. But if you're under grace, you've been set free from the arresting authority of the law. The law is going to show up and is going to say, you are guilty, you owe, now do this. And if you're in Christ, you say, hold on, it's been paid. I've been freed from your authority. You have no authority here. Look at this verse from Romans 6. It's a little bit further right in our own chapter right in. Paul says, you've been set free from sin and have become now slaves to righteousness. You and I have been set free because we are under grace. Fourthly, grace means resurrection. This one's a beautiful one. Because everything that we celebrate on Easter morning, in fact, that's what Sundays are. Did you know that? The first day of the week is when Jesus rose, so we worship on the first day. Every Sunday is a mini Easter. Every Sunday is. We celebrate it every week. Jesus is alive every Sunday. And by virtue of Jesus' resurrection, it proves resurrection. For the promise of our hope that we too one day will be raised from the dead. And I don't mean to just live in heaven somewhere because that's not the design of the human. God's designed you to represent him here on this earth. You and I enter this world with corruption, depravity. So we do a really poor job at that. But this is why God redeems you. So that you can therefore now live after his will on the earth now and in eternity when your body is raised from the dead. So the penalty here under law, do you know what the penalty is? Breaking the law? It's it's death. That's what sin gets you. This from Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. The human being has two, two components. Listen close now. You are a physical being and a spiritual being. Without Jesus, you will die both spiritually and physically. In Jesus... You will be made alive right now spiritually. And you will be made alive on the day that Jesus returns in the resurrection of the dead. So that's what we get with law. We get death. Grace delivers for us life. Let's turn once more back to that verse and read the rest of it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lois, do you remember what verse 1 said again in Chapter 16. He's 
Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. Thank you. That's right. All right, fifthly, lastly, sin means rest. I'm sorry, sin. Grace means rest, not works. This is a big one for us. There are, there are far too many Christians who think, so I, you, you tell me I got to do more, you tell me I got to do better. That's not what grace says. That's what the law says. The law says you need to do better. Try harder. You're not good enough. You'll never measure up. Does that sound like the devil talking again? But do you know what being under grace says? Not do. Grace says it's done. It's done. Jesus has fulfilled the law. And Jesus gives you an invitation to come and receive his inheritance. That's the offer. And so for you and I this morning, we need to make sure that we don't live as those who keep trying to strive under our own efforts, but instead we learn to rest knowing that God smiles upon us, not because of us, but because we are found in the refuge of his son, not in the dangerous, precarious position under the law, because the tornado is going to come, but under grace, under Christ. For when the judgment comes, you will survive. Not because you're under law, but because you are found knit together, united with his son. And his son, Jesus Christ, today is not dead. He is what? He is alive. So that's it. Isn't an awesome verse? Sin shall not be your master. Because you're not under law. You're under grace. So remember, this was a passage about sin. So we got to finish that up. What do we do with that now, right? I, I get it. I know what it means now to not be under law. I'm not trying to be a good guy anymore. I need to be found in the only one who is good, Jesus Christ. But that wasn't all that was about. It was about sin not being your master. And so I want to offer you two perspectives, two, two perspectives to think about this. The first is this. I'd like you to think about sin like a rash, like a rash. Now, let me be clear about this. I don't mean... You know, this tiny little something. Oh, ain't a big deal. That's not what I mean. I mean the type of rash that is ugly, deadly, festering, destroying your life, and spreading over your whole body. That's the type of rash I'm talking about here. Anybody ever get poison ivy? Be honest. Let's see. A couple of you. Yeah. Poison ivy is a, a humdinger, isn't it? Be- because do you, do you know what you're not supposed to do with poison ivy? You're not supposed to scratch it because if you do, you might catch some of those oils underneath your fingernails and it's going to spread to the rest of your body. But what is the only thing that it's asking you to do, right? It's like, gee, I just got just to itch. That's what sin's like. Think with me for a moment on this. What, what, what is it for you? What, what's the deadliest sin in your life? The thing no one knows about. The thing you don't ever want to talk to God about. What, what is it for you that is that, ooh, just itch it? It's going to continue to destroy you if you do. Maybe it's, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's your own life, your own attitude. Look at me. I want people to think highly of me. Every time I talk to people, I talk about me, myself, and I. There's an old uh, Toby Keith song for those country music lovers, all three of you here. Um, <laughs> it, ca- it, came, it came on the radio the other day while we were driving. Want to talk about me? Want to talk about you? Guys know the song. Okay. Maybe your sin is worry. How about that one? Do you know worry is a sin? 
It's a lack of trust in God. Maybe it's a form of idolatry. That really, it's so easy for you to put other things higher than God in your life to pursue them more than him. Maybe it's greed. That's a, that's a big one for Americans. It goes unnoticed. In fact, a sanctified sin that actually is celebrated in our world today. Maybe it's jealousy. Jealousy is really rooted in fear, by the way. Maybe it's anger. Maybe you struggle with anger and, and that uh, for the life of you, I just can't receive patience in my life. Littlest thing just sets me off. Maybe it's a lack of self-control. And you know when nobody's watching, there's just part of your life that you're just unable to hold under the control of the Spirit. Or how about these two? Apathy. Yeah, I don't care. Just don't get Not interested. Or sloth. That's a, that's a good old King James word that's, that means laziness. Yeah. I just don't want to do anything today. Play video games. I don't know. Right? God didn't make you for that. Maybe it's, maybe it's a form of immorality in your life that has been sanctioned by the culture. I don't know what it is. I want you to think of it for a minute. Because I want you to think about that sin like a festering, spreading, diseased rash in your life. And if you could think of it in the destructive work that it would have, how do we not let it master us? I wrote these down in your sermon notes, but basically this here is essentially what it means to be a Christian. I want to give you five things to think of if you think of sin like a rash. Step number one is this. You got to give some attention to it, right? If anyone's ever got poison ivy, trust me, you know what it means. You got to give attention to what you're facing, right? And this is the word for this theologically in church. It's called confession. That's what it's called. Confession is when you say about your misgivings, transgressions, iniquities, and sins, when you say about them what God says about them. You stop making excuses. You stop being blind to it and covering it up and nobody's not hurting anybody. Right? You stop that. You address it. It's going to destroy you. It's going to kill you. That's confession. The second step that Christians do is they have to get help. And I think we had to do this when Emily, uh, she, she got poison ivy pretty bad. Um, her skin type just does not respond to it very well. Um, we both were in the same location, same places. I didn't get any on me, but she got it. And we had to go to the doctor. And the, the doctor will provide steroid cream, or the doctor will provide an ointment, or the doctor will provide something that will give treatment to it. But do you know what you have to do in order to get help? You have to be humble. I hate going to the doctor. That's the last place I want to go is to the doctor because it means I can't fix it on my own. I need help. And so when you look at your sin this way, you have to address it with humility. It means that you go to the doctor, the one who has provided the correct working treatment for your sins. And so we confess our sins. I'm not going to hide them anymore. This is who I am, God. This is who I am. And I need help. I need help. I know that there's a tornado coming someday, and I'm tired of worrying about living my life under the structure of being a good guy because it's not going to save me on that day. And so I'm asking you, I need help. Step number three is what I would, uh, if you you ever have a rash, uh, repeat treatment. This is a big one. Uh, because if you've ever got a course of antibiotics, you start feeling better and then you stop taking them. And what happens? You get sick again. Because the doctor said, take them all, right? 
So this is what it means for Christians as well. God's going to give you an understanding and a path forward for how to deal with your sin. Do it. Do it. It, it, It's not going to disappear right away. You're you're, going to need to come back and address it again. Nobody stops sinning ever until you're dead. Certainly not any changes that happen overnight. It's going to take some time and accountability. It's going to take listening and attention to the Spirit of God within you. And so go back again. Get treatment again. You fall down, what do you do? Get back up again. In doing this, you actually show that you're trusting in what the doctor has said. And that's the hardest thing, I think. Maybe, maybe you've ever been to this point in your life where it's just like, I'm not, I just don't want to go to church. Man, church is the last place I want to go. I do not feel like singing to God today. Because you've got something going on in your life. Come on, be honest. You ever been there? Do you know the one place you need to be when you face that time in your life? You need to be again reminded of God's grace and his love. You've got to go back to treatment. You've got to go, you've got to go back and face it again. Because you're not going to get better right away. But this is the grace of God in our lives, that he offers a progressive, sanctifying holiness in our life as you continue to trust him and hold to him. Number four, I said, you need to stop the spread, right? And so I'm not going to itch it anymore. I'm not. That sin, that thing that's asking me to be like, think like, do like, I'm not going to itch it. Because if I do, it's just going to spread more. And so we kind of covered that, right? Don't let it rule in your life. Don't let it reign in your life. That's what the treatment for. That's what the ointment's for. That's what... The body of Christ is for to help you and I so that we don't become slaves to sin. And then lastly, fifthly, I wrote down rehab. Anyone who's ever been to rehab, you know that the purpose of it is to get you to full health one more time. And that's what we covered already last week. This is the answer. You and I need to present our bodies to be used by him. Come and present your body as a living sacrifice. God, here I am. Send to me. Here I am. Use me. This life belongs to you. I'm coming to offer myself to you. Does this make sense? Do you guys see what I mean on this? If you think of sin like this disease in your life, you got to give attention to it. Call it what it is. You need help. So humble yourself. Ask him for help. Then listen to what he says and go back and work through it because he's going to fix you. He's going to grow you. He's going to start that right now and he's going to complete it on the day of resurrection. Don't let sin rule. Don't itch it anymore. Be done with that thing. And how do you do that? By presenting your life to God. Presenting my body to be God. Presenting the members of my body to be used for holiness. That's the full scope of what it means to be the living dead. I've died to sin. And now I'm alive. One more application and then we're done. Because you're not going to get all the way there until resurrection. And so what do we do? Well, here's what you do till then. You live now with the expectant hope while we wait for Jesus. While we wait. It's a hard thing to wait, isn't it? I remember uh, Sadie last night jumping on our bed. I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I just can't sleep. Why is she so excited? Because today is what? She's so excited. I just love that. She's still little like that. You know what I mean? I just, she's just so excited. I can't wait. Church, you know what I can't wait for? Jesus is coming Jesus is coming. I, you know what I hate? I hate sin. I hate it. I hate the devil. I hate the accusations. I hate the battle. But I have great confidence. I have hope knowing that when the tornado comes and I hear the sirens, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be totally fine. 
Because even though I can't keep the law, it would crumble upon me. I have secured myself in the refuge of God's one and only Son who is not dead, but is alive. Amen?